Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matt Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. Free agency is approaching, and just last night, uh, we are recording this on Sunday, just last night, news broke of the Antonio Brown trade. We're going to break down that transaction, what it might mean for fantasy in 2019, and we will also preview free agency and uh, look at the biggest names on the market here to help me break all of it down is Ian Harditz, the director of the Fantasy Labs NFL platform and an Action Network analyst. You can follow Ian in the Action Network app at iHarditz. Also use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. Ian, how is it going? I don't even know what to say. I'm still shocked about this Antonio Brown trade. What's, uh, what's up with you? The whole week, man. But my one takeaway from this week is that I truly believe Antonio Brown is the best Bills receiver of all time. Yeah, probably, except for Kelvin Benjamin, uh, who is <laughs> a close second to Andre Reid. Uh, okay, we will have another episode this week in which we preview week six of the Alliance of American Football. And by the way, what a game last night. I'm sorry, you probably don't want to talk about it, but uh, the Stallions yeah. at the fleet, you had the money line for the Stallions. That didn't work out. I had uh, the spread, so winner. <laughs> I am. Stallions came from behind to get the epic back to recover. The fleet uh, got the field goal, however, at the end as the clock expired to get the victory. Great game. So we will talk about all of the alliance action you want later this week. But Ian, right now, let's get to that Antonio Brown trade. While I collect my thoughts and try not to jump on Twitter and rage, give us some notes. Yeah, so the biggest thing with this, like, first of all, props to Antonio Brown because the dude just pretty much threw nonstop fits for the last three months and got exactly what he wanted. He got more yeah. guaranteed money. He gets to go live in Oakland and Vegas uh, soon enough. I mean, it's awesome to see uh, some of these guys get what they want. With that said, I don't think there's any case to be made that he's entering a significantly worse, like, fantasy situation in Oakland. I mean, look, Derek Carr is not the worst quarterback in the league, but he might be the worst quarterback in the league that's paid to be an actually good quarterback. I mean, we have... 20 quarterbacks making at least $15 million per year. He is dead last in yards per attempt among that group. And even just looking at his entire career, like we've had 43 quarterbacks make at least 16 starts since 2014. Carr ranks 38th in yards per attempt, 28th in completion rate, 26th in touchdown rate. I mean, there are guys worse than him, but when he's being paid to, you know, be an actually good quarterback, it's just uh, tough to kind of have that takeaway with the numbers he's put up. I understand 2016, he had a pretty good year. But even then, when we were talking before the podcast, our, his numbers in 2018 were pretty comparable to that. So it seems like Carr's ceiling to this point is as an, as an above-average quarterback. We'll see if AB can you know bring out the best in him. I think that would make sense. But it's, it's, tough, to, it's tough to get around, man. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the trade, and it actually has nothing to do with the third and fifth rounder that Oakland gave up. I think totally fine to give that up. I think the bigger thing is that it's a lot of money, a lot of guaranteed money, especially for a guy who is 31 and who uh, I think pretty objectively speaking, this is not like for me a subjective thing, although people will say it is, like objectively based on a number of metrics, had one of the lesser seasons of his career. So like, I understand that if you look 
over what he's done for the last five years. You have a guy who is legitimately the best wide receiver in the league. But I think that's not the best way to view a guy who's going to be 31 and who is coming off a season in which he declined. So I'm thinking they are paying him as if he is the best receiver in the league. And I don't think he's going to be the best receiver in the league for the next three seasons. I don't think he's even going to be a top five receiver for the next three seasons. So I don't know. I mean, I think like two years from now, he might not even be in the top 10. We'll see. What are your, what are your thoughts for 2019? I think he's still capable of putting together a couple more big years. I think uh, Matt Harmon made a good point too, uh, that look, he does have the perfect skill set to move inside into the slot during the later uh, years. He really could thrive there. So that's something we got to keep in mind, but I'm just, I'm not sure if we're going to see the same just game breaking numbers, which is to be expected. He's aging. It's like any other guy, but it just comes down to look, Roethlisberger last four years, he's always been a top 10 quarterback and like percentage of passes that are deep balls. You know, Steelers are constantly taking chances downfield. Derek Carr is basically the anti-Roethlisberger when it comes to that. I mean, the only quarterback with a lower percentage of passes that went 20 yards downfield last season was Cam Newton, who like literally had shoulder surgery and admitted that he could not throw the ball downfield. And Derek Carr was right there with him in terms of that. So even if AB is getting 150 plus targets, I just don't think they're going to be nearly as fantasy friendly as what we were seeing in Pittsburgh. And I mean, if he was already getting double teamed nonstop with Juju Smith-Schuster and some of these other solid athletes and receivers on the field, I don't know what's going to happen in uh, Oakland when defense has got picked between Antonio Brown, Seth Roberts, Jared Cook, and these guys. So, Yeah. The one thing I, I will say is that he's played you know around 15 games per year for the last six years or so. So let's say that that is what he does next year. Let's say that he, instead of getting like 11 targets, gets maybe 10. I think that's more realistic. And 10 is still a really high number. Like that is what a a top end wide receiver gets. And let's say that instead of averaging a 62% catch rate, which is what he had in 2017, and a 61.9% catch rate, which is what he had last year, both of which are, you know, like really low numbers relative to what he's done when he's been the best receiver in the game. Let's say that with Derek Carr throwing him shorter passes, that catch rate goes up. Let's say it goes up to 65. Like at that point, you have a guy who is catching around 100 passes you know, per year. And so it is a situation where even though he's not having the, the fantasy-friendly down-the-field passes, because he's maybe getting shorter targets and he's better at catching those or those are more accurate – Maybe like in a, a PPR league, those are still things that uh, can uh, help his value. And maybe the question is like, is he still able to accumulate yards after the catch to where even if he's getting shorter targets, he's still able to get, you know, like 13 yards or so per reception. Last year, he had 12 and a half yards per reception. So we'll just, we'll have to see. But I mean, he's still a guy who I think this year he could have a hundred receptions he could have 1,300-ish yards. Like, that is still really good. I think his touchdown number is going to plummet. Like, it was 15 last year. Like, touchdown totals, they, those are not sticky. Like, they are not really predictive year to year. Like, the year before that, he had nine. Like, I think we're closer to six or seven this year than we are to 15. So, I think he has a probably still, like, a very respectable but, like, volume field campaign from like a reception total and yardage total but I think his touchdown total is going to be I don't know I think nine is probably high 
in terms of a projection, but that's, I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? No, I think he nailed it. The receptions and yards, I think he can definitely still keep up uh, for these next few years just on volume alone. But I, I don't I don't see him getting these same numbers when he's entering a significantly worse uh, scoring offense with a significantly worse quarterback. What do you uh, what do you think about the rest of these Pittsburgh guys, though? I mean, Juju already had 166 targets last year as the number two. I mean, sure, that could go up to 180. But I mean, Juju's ceiling is already like a wide receiver one. I'm not I'm not yeah. saying he's not a wide receiver one, but I don't know if he's necessarily going to take this massive next step. I think the guys that are really going to ball out now are James Washington and Vance McDonald. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. Like, Juju's basically already there. Like, for him now, it's just a matter of degree as opposed to, like, getting a huge infusion of targets. Although I think he probably will get more targets. And I think, like, the bet is who is more productive over the next three years, Juju or Antonio Brown? It wouldn't be surprising if Juju's the guy. But uh, yeah, James Washington, I think, has a massive opportunity to take a step forward. Uh, Vance McDonald, I'm a little less sold on just because there's so much inconsistency. And there's always a question of like, who is, who is the guy who's even getting a lot of the snaps at tight end for that team? But the guy who actually I'm thinking of is Jalen Samuels. Like, I think he could be someone who kind of uh, starts to funnel away some of those targets because I think he is maybe at this point behind Juju, like the second best pass catching option on that team. Like he, he's a very good receiving threat. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm thinking, first of all, I agree with you that Juju is probably going to see more targets, which makes me wonder, is he like the favorite this year to be the target leader? <laughs> it's it it's possible. Be. Like, I mean, that offense last year led the league, I believe in pass attempts. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, that's just kind of the way that they are going. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of targets there. Juju already has a lot of targets, but like he's going to get some more. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, I think, is always someone who has a good shot of uh, leading the league in targets. And then Devontae Adams uh, has a shot at it too. But uh, yeah, I think Juju is now in the running for it. That would be interesting. I'm really excited about Washington in particular. We saw some uh, preseason splash plays from him. He's just one of those guys that, even coming out of Oklahoma State, I mean, he was yeah. already know, known for being able to make those contested catches and really get downfield. So he, he was being used a little bit more later in the season. At the very least, I think he's a guy that can give us some splash weeks in DFS, even if he's not the most consistent guy. But so I guess Jalen Samuels would be the number three option in Pittsburgh now that you think could at least provide the most consistency because – We've seen, obviously, them have A.B. and Juju support two guys, and there's usually been a third, like a Mark Davis Bryant type, that at the very least can pop off for some big weeks. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if the targets that have been going to wide receivers, if some of those get shifted a little bit more to someone out of the backfield, and I, th- I think that's Samuels. Like, he is just such a dynamic receiver, and I think, like, a, a better-than-expected runner, you know, than people thought he would be entering the league last year. Like, he, he had a pretty good stretch run in those couple of games where he was an injury fill-in. So uh, I, I think he's someone who could sort of emerge as, like, not even just a change of pace back, but it's like a, like a change of pace back plus who is just sort of like all around, like always on the field, whether he's lining up in the backfield or whether they're using him as a slot receiver or, or whatever it is. I, I could see them trying to get creative in the way that they use him. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about some free agents. And let's start with guys who have already signed or who are you know, like slated to be uh, going someplace. Kareem Hunt to the Browns. Carlos Hyde to the Chiefs, Andre Ellington to the Buccaneers, 
Larry Fitzgerald returning to the Cardinals, tight end Nick Boyle to the Ravens. I don't know why we are even talking about these tight ends. Charles Clay to the Cardinals, Dwayne Allen to the Dolphins, and then a bunch of pass rushers who have been franchise tagged. Demarcus Lawrence, Davian Clowney, Frank Clark, D. Ford. Ian, thoughts on these guys? Yeah, we probably could have left the tight ends off. That's fair. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, looking at the top, obviously Kareem Hunt uh, sticks out as the big name. You know, we'll know more probably as the offseason progresses. I think the big thing is how long his suspension will be and if they'll give him time served for last year. Because uh, it's if they give him time served for last year when he was released, I mean, even a six- or eight-game suspension is going to allow him to be playing games in September. So it seems like from what uh, John Dorsey's been saying, like Duke Johnson uh, is a guy that they could look to trade in the future. So I think they're just waiting to get word back from the uh, league. But – at the very least, I think Hunt and Chubb are going to kind of eat into each other's workload a little bit. The Browns' offense is looking pretty awesome at all levels anyway, so there might be enough room for both guys to thrive. But in terms of Hunt and Chubb, I think being two running backs that we were hoping to see get three-down workloads, I'm not sure if that's realistic anymore. And then uh, the other one we'll quickly touch on, Carlos Hyde with the Chiefs. <sighs> we saw Damian Williams emerge as an RB1 You know when uh, Hunt was gone last year, but the Chiefs said all the right things early on. You know, they were confident in um, Williams' ability to continue to be that guy. But then they go out and they sign Carlos Hyde. So uh, we've seen Andy Reid use committee backfields throughout his career. Damian Williams is a guy that was pretty much expendable and kind of, uh, you know, switching from team to team a little bit up until that stretch run. So there's so much upside in that spot, but it makes me nervous to touch either guy if it's going to cost a high fantasy pick. I am really on Damian Williams, and uh, this Carlos Hyde edition doesn't bother me at all. Ooh, um, okay. Hyde has been – this is literally his fourth team in just under a year, going from 49ers to Browns to a cup of coffee in Jacksonville and now uh, in Kansas City. This – I don't know. Like, I see him, like, is a little more than, like, just depth. But like, you know, they need they need people like they need bodies. But I just I don't see Hyde being someone who really significantly eats into what Damian Williams is doing, especially because Williams is so much better as a receiver. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's that's a fair point there. So real quick, though, Tampa Bay, Andre Ellington getting back with Bruce Arians. Any Uh, chance? No, I mean, I think it's. Yeah, you know, it's it's a tough situation because they actually do need someone to step up and, and be a running back there. I just don't know, like Ellington's older, he's smaller. We're always conversations about like, are we moving him to wide receiver? So I, I don't know. I think he's just I think he's just a guy. Like I think they're gonna give him a shot. Maybe he can make the roster and he can be, you know, like a third down back, you know, every once in a while. But I just I don't really see it. I don't know. What what would he think with him? Probably not, but yeah, I'm just waiting for to see who's going to be this leader in Tampa Bay. I mean, last time we saw an Arians offense, we saw David Johnson pretty much come out of nowhere and dominate fantasy. So it just kind of depends, I guess, who can be the starter there. I guess we can uh, move on now to some of the best available free agents. It's going to be tough to have too much uh, analysis on these guys until we obviously know what team they land on. But a couple of these guys already, we have a little bit of an idea of where they yeah. can go. First up, Nick Foles. We're getting strong uh, Jaguars vibes. Uh, We'll see if Bortles is still the backup. But, Matt, what are your thoughts on the Foles era in Jacksonville? I think it will be better better than any of the other eras we've seen for the last (laughs) decade. So, uh, yeah, it's – I mean, they they have to do something. I think Bortles is clearly not the answer. And as long as they're not re-signing, like, Blaine Gabbert or something, uh, I think almost anything is better than Bortles. 
Yeah, and I mean, you bring up a good point about Foles too. A lot of times people, we tend to erase Jared Goff's first rookie season and Todd Gurley's that terrible year he had because of the Jeff Fisher factor. And if we did that with Nick Foles, I mean, he's got a career 63% completion rate, 7.3 yards per attempt, 61 to 23 touchdown interception ratio. I mean, he's been very legit as long as uh, Jeff Fisher is standing on the sideline. So I'm a, I'm interested to see what he can do with Marquise Lee, D.D. Westbrook, D.J. Chark, and these guys. Because yeah. I, have, I have always thought Jacksonville had a nice little crop of skill position players, even if uh, Bortles couldn't really get him consistently going. Yeah, I entirely agree with that. I'm most excited about the potential with D.D. Westbrook because uh, you've said this before. He has, uh, he being Nick Foles, has a very good deep ball. And uh, I think that is one place where Westbrook could really thrive. The one question I really have is that um, we've seen Foles do his best when he's been with, I would say, fairly innovative play callers. Like, say what you want about Chip Kelly, but like the full season with Chip Kelly was like a transcendent type of year. That was like an all-time great type of quarterback season. And he was great during his postseason run with another, I think, pretty good play caller in Peterson. So the question is like, do they have someone in Jacksonville who can help Foles sort of like unlock his potential? I don't know if they actually do. So I think it's like as good of a signing as it can be. It's just a question of, how Foles is going to fit into the system that they build around him. Good points. Yeah, and it's looking like Foles out of these uh, remaining free agents might be the only quarterback that uh, signs somewhere and is immediately locked in as a starter. Other guy that has some potential, though, is Teddy Bridgewater. I'm hearing some rumors, though, that he could probably just go back on a, on a one-year deal to the Saints again and kind of maybe get like $5 million or something in that range and keep being a backup. But I'm not really – I don't know. I, I've never been a huge Bridgewater stand. I feel like even when he was starting with the Vikings and they made the playoffs, it was more of a game manager type role and kind of just feeding the run game. And they had some good defense during that time as well. So, I don't know. Like, Do you see Teddy Bridgewater ever being kind of an above-average NFL quarterback? I don't know. Not really. Not at this point. Like, I don't know what it is that separates him from Case Keenum. You know, like that might sound like a hard take, but I just like, I I don't know at this point, like they seem to be kind of comparable. So yeah, he's someone who maybe will get a a, a shot to start at some point. But yeah, he feels like someone who's always going to be kind of like straddling the line between potential future starter and backup for now. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, uh, a couple other notable free agent QBs, Tyrod Taylor, Ryan Fitzpatrick, RG3, Trevor Simeon, Sam Bradford, probably still <laughs> making money from the Cardinals. I think Ty God would be awesome as a Lamar Jackson's backup in Baltimore. That'd be a, that'd be a fun little reunion. He just fits yeah. that offensive style. And I, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick was so unbelievable last year. I, I know it was kind of a random blimp and we can't expect that same level of efficiency moving forward but the the guy can obviously still play a little bit of ball uh do you have any thoughts on uh this group yeah i mean uh i think as you said ty god would be a great fit for the ravens and fitzpatrick like this might seem weird but i would actually really like to see him go to the browns because he has familiarity with todd munkin's system i think he could be a great like mentor from the bench to Baker Mayfield, like someone who actually like does a really good job of helping Mayfield prepare and become familiar with uh, like the subtleties of Munkin's system. And then someone who could, it's not as if like he has that uh, same like Baker Mayfield type of swag, but he kind of does a little bit. Like, <laughs> like I think he's someone that if you needed, like if you had a team 
that had a real shot in making the playoffs. And I think they do with Mayfield. And then Mayfield's injured for a game. I think absolutely Fitz has a chance of being able to win that game for you. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think he's someone, if he, he fits, I think, in a particular way as someone who like can win a game and as someone who can help maybe a young developing quarterback just learn more of the game. So I would like to see him in a situation like that. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, his teammates seem to love him. I mean, I forget the uh, who sent it out, but, you know, the Ryan Fitzpatrick compilation video of him just kind of going nuts with his teammates and celebrating. It's just full of good times. So, yeah, I like that Cleveland call as well. Yeah. I mean, these these other quarterbacks uh, I'm not too interested in. They're kind of, you know, like veteran guys, older guys who probably don't perform as well as they used to, which, of course, makes me think long and hard about erectile dysfunction. True story. When I was in college for an organic chemistry course, we had to do research reports on various compounds. And to be a smart ass, I did my report on ED medication. I don't want to brag, but my professor was pretty impressed with all of the research I did on drugs to prevent erectile dysfunction. But he wasn't as impressed as you will be with the doctors at Roman. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health, whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse. Guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show that 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to get checked out and treated by a doctor online. Roman is a one-stop shop where licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medication right to your door. With Roman, there are no waiting rooms, awkward face-to-face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. You can handle everything discreetly online. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com slash NFLpod, fill out a brief medical onboarding, chat with the doctor, and get FDA-approved ED meds delivered to your door in unmarked packaging. Guys, go online and get checked out by the doctor. Tackle your problem with Roman. It's really easy, so take care of it for a free online visit. Go to GetRoman.com slash NFLpod. That is GetRoman.com slash NFLpod for a free online visit. GetRoman.com slash NFLpod. One man who doesn't have problems performing when he's on the field is Le'Veon Bell. Let's talk about some of these running backs. And Bell, of course, is the, one might say, Bell of the ball for this year's class. Ian, what are your thoughts on Le'Veon? Another electric ad read, Matt. You're just taking over that game. Uh, yeah, I feel like all this kind of, the whole Le'Veon saga over the last year has just distracted from the fact that this is one of the best players in football when he's right and when he's on the field. I mean, you know, running backs, I, I get it. I'm not saying running backs the most important position or anything like that, but We've seen Le'Veon Bell do more at that position than almost anyone else. I mean, he's one of only four running backs ever with at least three seasons with at least 75 catches. And, I mean, you watch the guy. He lines up as a wide receiver. He high points the ball. He's an amazing route runner. Uh, So it's not like he's just getting constant dink and dunks. And when he does get to dink and dunks, he's no one's better at just putting your foot down and breaking tackles and making some big plays with that. So, you know, always one of the top guys in both broken tackles and success rate, which, uh, you know, is really saying something because you watch him run. He's – you know, can't watch one football game without the announcers talking about how patient uh, Le'Veon Bell's running style is. But yeah. he really does continue to get positive yardage despite that. I mean, he's been, I believe, top 11 in success rate in the last uh, three or four years. So I really think he's one of these guys that can fit any offense. And when he's going to be in there, he's a guy that we've seen he's able to handle 300 to 400 touches, you know, as both a runner and receiver. So I think anywhere he goes, he's going to immediately be another top five fantasy back. And 
I think maybe New York Jets would be the best case. Yeah, I mean, there are rumors, you know, the Jets are interested. Some people have linked him to the Colts, although I don't I don't know how likely that is. But I do agree with the premise that wherever he goes, he is going to be a, a top five fantasy back. I think that is very realistic. The question that I have primarily with him, well, two questions. One, I don't want him to go to Oakland because I have a bet that he and Antonio Brown will not be on the same team in 2019. So one, I just don't want him to go to Oakland. Although I think that actually has a, a real shot of happening. So anyway, that's, that's one thing. But sort of like tied with that is like Oakland is not a good team. Like, I think that's sort of like, objectively speaking, like they, they will probably be better this year than they were last year, but they're still not a, a great team. Is he going to go someplace where he is in a good offense and has a chance of winning a Super Bowl? But if that's the case, maybe they have another good running back already and he doesn't get the workload that he used to get. Or is he going to just chase the money? And if he does that, which I think is the likelier possibility, that means he will probably be with a team that is not as good. And he will probably, as a result, be in a less efficient offense, not have some of the same opportunities he used to have with the Steelers. But he still might get a lot of action because you have a team that is just wanting to like, prove that they were, you know, quote unquote, wise to invest so much money in a running back. So like, those are the, the different situations, the two ways in which I could see things playing out with him. And in the end, I think it's probably a wash regardless of like where he goes, I think he will probably still end up in that like running back three to running back seven type of range. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think his worst case scenario is pretty much 2018 David Johnson where maybe he ends up on a team which is bad quarterback, bad offensive system, but he's still going to be getting 15 to 20 touches per game. I think when it's all said and done, we'll look at the PPR RB rankings and he'll be towards the top. Yeah, I agree. Uh, After him, I think there's a a pretty steep drop off, but – you know, we have a group of guys, Tevin Coleman, someone who really exhibited a lot of explosive qualities uh, in his four years at Atlanta, but never really got the chance until last year. And then, uh, you know, just injured. It wasn't in a great situation all the way around. Mark Ingram, JHI, those are two guys who are also on the market. What are your thoughts on those guys? Yeah, you said it with Coleman. I mean, we've had 84 running backs have at least 150 carries since Coleman entered the league in 2015. Coleman's fifth in a, the highest rate of runs for at least 15 yards. So he's really been popping off big plays his whole career. And I mean, I, I put out a, a video on my Twitter of some of these uh, catches he has when he gets the chance to line up as a receiver. And the guy is so smooth and really all facets of the game. He's never had even 50 targets in a season, which is just criminal. I, I know the Falcons were still awesome. You know, they have a bunch of weapons on that offense, but I still feel like they just did not get Tevin uh, involved enough. He averaged 13.1 uh, PPR points per game without Devontae Freeman, 9.7 with. So I think it's reasonable to expect, you know, wherever he's going to go at, at the very least. I mean, we've seen RB2 kind of flexes his floor, even as the number two RB in his offense. So Ideally, I'd like to see him end up in Philly or somewhere where we get to see him have an opportunity to be that uh, top guy because he's one of these few backs in the league that can be both a really good runner and receiver. Quickly on Mark Ingram, I think it's important to note with him, he really has never had that huge of a workload in New Orleans. I mean, he's never had over 230 carries in a season. I was surprised to find he only has 280 more career carries than Todd Gurley even though he entered the league four years earlier than Gurley. So even though he's 29 years old, I think Ingram still does have some, uh, you know, I can see him having another good year too. I don't think he's washed up just yet, even though he is getting up there in age. And then uh, 
for Jay Ajayi, only thing worries me with him is I think we have enough evidence now that it's going to be tough for him to be a featured running back anywhere. He, the injuries keep coming back, and we also just have no evidence of him being an even okay receiver. He's never even gotten to 30 catches or over 200 receiving yards in a season. Yeah, I mean, he pops off some big runs. I, I love the you know 200-plus yard games in a season where he's one of four backs with that, but I just don't know if Ajayi is going to, A, find a team to give him enough money to warrant being the feature back and B even have that ability. Okay. I agree with everything you said there, except, I mean, not except, but really, uh, I mean, JHI, I, I, I grant that he's not a good receiving back, but you know, it's like that situation where um, if you say one thing long enough and you just sort of keep on repeating it, eventually at some point it's going to come true. And then, you know, you can be the person who was like, yes, I was always on this. J.H.I., yeah, in the NFL, he hasn't done anything to show that he can really be a receiver. But he was actually a very good receiving back in college. And, like, it took Mark Ingram at a few years in the NFL to become a competent receiving back. But, like, at Alabama, he was actually a decent receiver. Like, I think that there is a path for Ajayi to, to be a better receiver than he has been. But, like, I still don't know if that's going to matter because I agree with you. He's not going to be someone who is a lead back. And I think the same is true of Mark Ingram and the same with Tevin Coleman. I don't think any of those guys is really going to get the opportunity to be a lead back, even if they maybe have the, like the potential to do it, like they have the capability of being able to do it just because of them. I don't think a team is going to trust them enough to do it or pay them enough to do it. Yeah, I think the paying them is a good point. You brought up a levy on earlier. I mean, looking at these contracts is going to be important because, look, if a team's paying a running back to be a top five guy, like that's why we were so hyped about Jarek McKinnon last year. Yeah, he he hadn't had the massive workload in the past, but when the 49ers are making him a top five paid running back in the league, like why would they not feed him if they're investing that much in him? So, uh, yeah, these contracts and the guaranteed money will be something to keep a close eye on. There's another group of running backs who – kind of have varying degrees of three down ability and I guess uh, just overall goodness. TJ Eldon, Mike Davis, CJ Anderson, Spencer Ware, Marshawn Lynch, Adrian Peterson, Darren Sproles, Octavius Murray, Cordero Patterson, bunch of running backs that have showed flashes of uh, you know major ability over the years, but don't really seem to be in a position to necessarily get a ton of work. Uh, Matt, any thoughts on these guys? Yeah, I mean, C.J. Anderson, a a generational talent. Um, I mean, you have – I mean, Ware has had like a, a, you know, year and a half of decent production at some point in his career. Lynch and Peterson are two guys who are, you know, like Hall of Fame type of guys. Sproles has been one of the best pass-catching backs when healthy of the past, you know, like five, seven years. The existence of guys like this is why I think it's never really smart to spend a lot of money on running backs. You know what I mean? So although um, Le'Veon Bell is, I think, one of the best running backs in the league, I wouldn't want to be the team that pays him as if he is the best running back in the league. Agreed. And then uh, another thing to keep in mind with these guys too, Latavis Murray, for example, I mean, if they're not getting re-signed by their – former team that could be a good sign for the incumbent back you know Dalvin Cook obviously here maybe if the Sproles is gone that could mean a enhanced receiving role for Corey Clement or something like that so always important to keep in mind when the person leaves uh what who will fill their old role uh on that team yeah great point there let's transition to the wide receivers 
who do you think is the top guy in this class? Like I have my sense of who the the top guy is, but uh, who who do you think it is? Mr. John Smokey Brown. We're talking about the wide receiver 22 in PPR before Lamar Jackson came in and just completely nosedived the entire Ravens passing offense. I mean, as long as Brown is healthy, I know he's, he has the sickle cell trait thing that's given him a bunch of problems, but it seemed like he was finally able to get past that last year. And we have just loads of evidence that whenever he's on the field, he's one of the best receivers in the game pretty much. He's only one of 11 guys averaging at least 15 yards per catch since 2015, uh, minimum 100 catches. I mean, I'm not saying John Brown's like for sure a top 10 receiver or anything like that, but at the very least, he's an overqualified field stretcher, and I'd love to see him on a team that actually gives him a chance to be a legit number one or number two receiver. I totally agree with you. And he was the guy, like for me, that I was thinking oh, yeah. is, is the number one. I don't know. Like part of me would be like, oh, it would be so great if he could reunite with Bruce Arians in Tampa Bay and kind of play like the Deshaun Jackson role. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen with D-Jax. He's still technically under contract, and it seems like they, they want to try to keep him. But back to John Brown, totally agree. It's always a question of health with him. Uh, but when he was healthy and, and when he had Flacco on the field, who's someone who's, you know, like, say what you want about him. I think like at worst, he's a league average quarterback. You know, his style of play suited John Brown so much more than Lamar Jackson's style of play did. If you put Brown with someone who is, you know, just like your your typical type of quarterback, I think he could be a thousand yard type of receiver with, you know, I don't know, like five to eight touchdowns. And that's not like huge, but for someone that you're getting in free agency, who's not going to cost a lot of money, like that's pretty significant. And I think what he can do for the rest of your offense as a field stretcher is also pretty important. And like those secondary effects, I think tend to be undervalued, but that is something that he really adds to a team. Yeah, exactly. And I think the secondary effects are what makes him the number one guy to me. I mean, we got other people, Golden Tate, Jamison Crowder, talented players with the ball in their hand, but only a few guys like John Brown, you could probably say Tyrell Williams is another type of guy. Like you need to put a safety over top of them. Otherwise you run the risk of them running straight past your corner and scoring long touchdowns, which we've seen Brown do throughout his career. So yeah, he's easily my number one guy. What do you uh, make of when we got Golden Tape, Devin Funches, I mentioned Crowder and Williams. Who do you kind of think is the number two guy? Williams is probably number two for me. Uh, although I do have a lot of respect for Golden Tate and what he was able to do in his almost five years with Detroit, but he is older at this point now. I think there is a question of kind of like, where are you going to play Golden Tate? Is he a slot only type of guy or does he have more versatility where you can put him on the outside? Whereas with Williams, he's younger. He's still uh, in peak athletic, I guess, like capability right now. I think you can play him a little bit in the slot if you need to, but like you can kind of move him all over the offense, which is why I, I probably have him a little bit ahead of Golden Tate. But the one guy I definitely don't want any part of is Devin Funches. That's just, I, I know he's like that big physical guy who flashed a little bit, but he's never really been able to put it all together. And he's still young, but uh, I don't know, man. Like if a guy hasn't really done much through his first four years and he wasn't really someone who put up good production in college, like I'm just, I don't know, like I'm just going to be out on him. I would rather have a rookie. Yeah, I think you're on to something there. I, I was impressed. I was watching a little bit of his uh, film since last year, and he, he does have some nice uh, route run. He'll show off some nice route running at times, and 
I, I would like to see him. I mean, I like Cam Newton a lot, but I would like to see him in more of a, I guess, normal pass offense than what Carolina does. I don't know if it's the most wide receiver friendly offense that uh, he could be in because we have seen him play much better without Greg Olson in the yeah. lineup. I, I, those figures got skewed a little bit towards the end of last season when Cam really just couldn't throw the ball downfield right. at all. But yeah, I'm not giving up on Funches just yet, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't think he's like a number one by any stretch. He's If a team can get him cheap and just have him in that role as a red zone threat that you're not forcing eight to 10 targets a game to, then you know, sign me up. But yeah, I don't, I don't want him as a number one. And I think that's the problem we're going to see with uh, Golden Tate and maybe Crowder and some of these other guys that I don't think they're going to go to a new team and all of a sudden see eight to 10 targets per game. I mean, we saw Tate, he was getting 9.9 targets per game in Detroit. He gets traded to Philly, goes all the way down to 5.7. So especially, you know, new quarterback, new system, really got to keep our expectations in check, I think, for uh, how involved these guys are going to be from the get-go. Yeah, totally agree with that. The one thing with Funches is that um, he strikes me as a kind of Dante Moncrief type of player, just in terms of like, you know, he's big, he has a good athletic profile, but was never really able to put it all together. So that said, kind of like going Dante Moncrief, like career trajectory in reverse, if Devin Funches ended up with a team like the Colts, then I would I would be much more interested. But I think it for him, it is totally dependent on where he lands. Whereas for some of these other players, like John Brown, I'm probably going to be interested in him almost regardless of where he lands, unless it's like with, you know, two or three teams where the quarterback situation is so bad, I just want to avoid it. But I will be interested in Funches only if he lands with a handful of teams. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree with you there. Speaking of Moncrief, so we got a couple other wide receivers that uh, we'll see get picked up by various squads. I'm not sure if they'll resign, but these guys include Adam Humphreys, Randall Cobb, Moncrief, as we said, Michael Crabtree, Philip Dorsett, Chris Hogan, Cole Beasley, and Mike Wallace, among some other guys. Uh, any of these names stick out to you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, Randall Cobb, I guess. But um, I don't know. I mean, he's not as old as you think he would be for someone who has seemingly seemed so old for the last like five years, but he's still fairly young. Crabtree is actually the guy who maybe sticks out to me the most because like, I think he's still a good, like all around professional type of NFL receiver. Like he, he doesn't separate all that well at this point, but he was never really all that great at separating anyway. But like, I think he could still be a good veteran receiver for a team that needs it. But I think it's just a question of how expensive is he going to be. I don't think he's going to be all that expensive. So, yeah, of those guys, he's probably the one who stands out the most to me. And then, like I would say, the slot variety, like Adam Humphreys, uh, I'm not really all that interested in him. I maybe kind of prefer Cole Beasley a little bit to Adam Humphreys, but I don't know. Still, neither one of them really excites me as a, a slot option. Yeah, the, the one thing I'll say with this group is I, I'm very interested to see how Philly finishes out their wide receiver groups. I mean, with the Antonio Brown stuff, I mean, the reports were saying Philly and Oakland were kind of the two top teams uh, vying for his services. And we saw that offense last year uh, in 2017 when they won it all. You know, Torrey Smith wasn't the number one receiver or anything, but he was always out there. It was always a deep threat. Defenses had to respect a little bit. Last year, they brought in Mike Wallace to do that. He got hurt like week two. Mac yeah. Collins, their poor man's uh, Smith or Wallace, he also got hurt. And they really just had a lack of speed on the field, which, you know, is a problem when Alshon and uh, Zach Ertz are kind of limited in what they can do 
deep down the field. You know, Nelson Aguilar uh, was able to kind of come on a little bit towards the end of the year, but we've seen him thrive more in the slot as well. So I'll be very interested to see if a guy like John Brown, Tyrell yeah. Williams, uh, ends up on Philly. Yeah, John Brown is the one I'm really hoping kind of goes to Philly. Not even so much because like I I like Philly or like I think it I don't know. I just like I think it would be like he would be the guy that they've been trying to get. Like they've been trying to get someone like him with his skill set for the last few seasons and it just hasn't really worked out where they've been able to get a guy who actually does what he does and can produce. But I think Brown could produce in that system. So I think that would be good. Agreed. All right, we got two tight ends uh, to briefly talk about before we wrap this thing up. I mentioned before, I mean, not a lot of huge names on the market, but we do have Jared Cook, who just had a career year uh, in Oakland amidst that 4-12 and season. And yeah. also uh, Tyler Eifert, who you know, has been banged up uh, pretty much every single season. But when he's on the field, I mean, he scored 19 touchdowns in his last 27 games, and we saw him play limited snaps and still maintain some uh, fantasy re- uh, relevance last year before he got hurt. So you interested in either of these guys from fantasy next year or just going to kind of be one of those things where it depends where they land? Yeah, I mean, I, just in passing, um, I think it's great for Antonio Brown that Jared Cook isn't going to be there. He can just get all of his targets. But, yeah, no, uh, Jared Cook, man, I don't know. I think it was a situation in Oakland where they were just so bereft of talent at the wide receiver position that he was able to soak up a lot of opportunities that on a better team wouldn't be there. So he's someone who's always had talent. Well, let me rephrase that. Always had the potential to produce. And there's been a lot of inconsistency with him. And uh, I think last year he kind of put it all together in part just because he got so many opportunities. But he's older and uh, he's not all that great of a blocker. So I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know what team is really going to want him and use him in such a way to make him really fantasy attractive next year. And then Tyler Eifert, like so much potential, but uh, yeah, I'm just scared that, you know, he's going to be on the field for three snaps and then like break his leg or something. Fair points. Yeah, I mean, I don't see Cook finding any team that where he's going to be like the de facto number one receiver again like he had last year. So, yeah, I don't know if any of these guys are going to be too high on many fantasy radars. Uh, some other free agents, CJ Uzoma. Uh, I mean, we have seen Cincinnati with or without Eifert. <laughs> yeah, the tight end's been involved in the red zone, so we'll, we'll yeah. see what happens there. Austin Safarian Jenkins didn't really work out in Jacksonville last year, but still a guy I, I hold a few – I got a few shares of uh, ASJ stock left. And then, uh, then we got Jeff Hireman uh, in Denver and Demetrius Harris, who uh, actually – He's the one who's most interesting. I was about to say, I mean, yeah. we, we saw him kind of work as like a poor man's uh, Travis Kelsey at times. I mean, super athletic guy. If he gets like a number one tight end spot somewhere, I'm not quite sure if his blocking's uh good enough to get that role, but he could be the guy. Yeah, he's someone who has um, kind of like Marcellus Bennett type of potential where like Bennett was with the Cowboys for four years just behind Jason Witten doing basically nothing. And then, you know, went to the Giants uh, for a year and was good there and, and then kind of made his way around the league and was always pretty solid. I think Harris, like if it works for him, that is the type of player he's he's going to be. The obvious difference is that Bennett entered the league as a uh, second rounder and and Harris entered the league as an undrafted free agent. I'm pretty sure. So pretty massive difference. <laughs> Just uh, a little bit. <laughs> but uh, no, I like, I think if it works out for him, that is, that is the way in, in which it would work as someone who uh, kind of learned the position in the NFL 
for years playing behind someone else or alongside someone else who was really the guy and then finally gets his chance when he goes to another team. Yeah, agreed. All good points there. So, yeah, that's our uh, wrap-up. And just so everyone knows, Monday is the uh, like, kind of like legal tampering period. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't get how it starts Monday, but we already have these players that have agreements. But that's the official rules. And then Wednesday is when uh, guys will start getting signed. So at a, keep an eye on Fantasy Labs Action Network. We'll be rolling out uh, kind of single article profiles for these bigger names that we touched on. And we'll also just have a master list of kind of you know, blurbs about the other guys and potential fantasy relevance that they could have. Yes. So uh, as Ian said, everyone be sure to check out all of those pieces uh, when they come out, when guys uh, sign or news breaks that a guy is going to sign. Uh, Ian will have almost immediate coverage of uh, all of those key players for uh, 2019 fantasy. Ian, good show. Good stuff. I am excited for, uh, for the official opening of the 2019 league year. Good stuff for us to, uh, to finally get to cover and, and dive into. And that is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. Please rate and review the show in iTunes. Subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. For Ian, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt of the Oracle. See you again next episode.